How do you make an apostle happy? It's not a joke. It's not a trick question. What brings delight to the heart of a servant of God? What if that apostle were under house arrest? What might bring him delight and joy under those circumstances? What great work can any Christian do that will bring joy to the soul of an imprisoned servant of God? It's a work that you can undertake if you are a child of God. Though there may be no apostle now to rejoice in it, then still others can rejoice because of it. A work which every true believer here can undertake. All the opportunity that you need is immediately to hand. All the materials that you need are already at your disposal. You don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to get anything more in order to accomplish this great work. To identify and encourage it, let me turn with you to Philemon and chapter... Well, there's only one chapter in Philemon. Philemon and the opening verses. It's a very small book, but if you can find Timothy and Titus or Hebrews, then you'll find Philemon nestled between them. Toward the end of your Bible, Philemon from verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow labourer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. And because of that love and its demonstration, we have great joy and consolation. Let's pray briefly. Father, help us now to study this great and gracious work that was in Philemon and should and could be in us to bring joy not just to the heart of a, an apostle, not just to the soul of a pastor, but to the very heart of Jesus Christ on high. Lord, bless us, teach us what this means. For Christ's sake we ask. Amen. Amen. Here then is the great and gracious work. It is to refresh the hearts of the saints. It is this then that seems to stand out for the Apostle Paul as a particular mark of Philemon's faithful service. 
It's what he zeroes in on here as one of the evidences of Philemon's faith in Christ and love for Christ and for all of God's people. Now, what does it mean to refresh the hearts of the saints? If we're going to think about this, we need to understand what we're talking about. The language is used in other parts of God's word. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, you'll find the language in this form coming from the lips of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now that's the rest that the labouring and heavy laden person needs. And that's the language of refreshment or rest for the soul. You'll find something similar again in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 31. He said to his disciples, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Get a little relief. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So where this language is used of rest or relief or refreshment, it's the lifting of a load. It's the taking away of a burden. It's language that is used elsewhere of an army on the march, stopping in order to take a break. It is, if you, if you wanted to turn it into a sound, it would be the sound of somebody who has done a full day's hard labour and who finally gets to sit down. You boys and girls, sometimes you talk about it. You know what a dad noise is? Dad noise is when your father sits down at the end of a day and he says something like this. Oh. Okay? That's rest. That's the body finding its relief. That's the, the lifting of a load. It's taking the weight off your feet. And Paul says, not that Philemon has taken the weight off the feet of the saints, but he's taken the weight off the hearts of God's people. He's found a way to give their hearts rest. Saints need their burdens lifted. Now, bear in mind, these are God's people, and so the burden of sin has been taken from their souls. But they still have burdens. There are still difficulties that we face as God's people. There are griefs with which we have to contend. There are pressures which need to be removed. There are troubles which pull us down. You think of the kind of imagery that is used of God's people. We're the sheep of his flock, but there are wolves and there are lions. We are pilgrims on the way, but there are enemies and there are obstacles. To be God's people in this world is to have the world against us, to fight against our own flesh, our own carnal desires. It is to be... <coughs> in a place where the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We are those who have the, the fiery darts of the devil that are fired against us as creatures in a fallen world, and then on top of that, as followers of Christ in a hostile world, 
There are wearinesses and there are wearings out of soul, of heart, because of our travel and our toil. And I'm describing what every Christian here knows. I'm describing, at least in measure, the kind of burdens and afflictions that we bear. And the Apostle Paul says that Philemon had been marked out as someone who refreshed the souls, the hearts of God's people. Philemon knew how to deal with the inner man. Often, I would suggest, by means of caring for the outer man. But Philemon knew how to relieve the heart. Philemon knew how to refresh the the soul. Philemon knew how to restore the spirits. Paul uses this language elsewhere when he's writing, for example, to the Corinthians. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 18. Talking about Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus, who had supplied to Paul what was lacking on your part. So the Corinthians had undertaken to help Paul out, but they hadn't been able to do everything. And now Paul was in need. He was burdened. He was struggling. Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus came and supplied what was lacking on your part. That's probably a physical demonstration of support and affection. What was the result? They refreshed my spirit and yours. They found a way to bless me in such a way that my spirit was lifted up, that my heart was relieved, that my soul was refreshed. Therefore, says the apostle, acknowledge such men. You should take note of what Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus did, just as the Apostle Paul is going to take notice of what Philemon has done. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 13. We have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. You know the concern that the apostle had for what was going on in Corinth in this confused and and godless environment where the church was being uh, dragged down in some respects even lower than the culture itself. But Titus has gone there. There now, Titus has seen at least something of a turnaround. And what does it do to the soul of Titus when he sees the way that these saints are now living and serving? His spirit has been refreshed. Your, his soul has been lifted up. So this great work, this great and gracious work, is the bringing of sweetness and lightness and gladness to the souls of God's struggling or suffering people. That's this great and gracious work. Now, let me pause just for a moment to say that the first and the best work that any Christian can do for those who are outside of the kingdom of God is to tell them of the Christ who lifts the load of sin. I think Philemon did that too. Not sure precisely what it means when Paul says the the sharing of your faith becoming effective. I think that uh, that's probably 
relating to this ministry to God's people because he's still in that sense sharing or working out his faith. But the first and the best thing that you can do to someone who is dead in their trespasses and sins is to tell them about the life that is in Christ Jesus. Philemon does this because Philemon is a gospel man. He knows what it is to have his heart's loads lifted by the Christ who comes to those who are weary and heavy laden and he gives them rest with God, peace with the Lord. Then being brought into the kingdom of God, this great and gracious work continues of refreshing the souls of the saints. This then is the great and gracious work. The second question I want to answer is who does it? Well, you say it's Philemon. Yes, it's Paul's brother. It's Paul's brother. Paul recognises in Philemon a Christian characteristic, a spiritual dynamic that marks them out as part of the same spiritual family. These men could have sung together, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of what? Kindred minds. When when you're in step with one another, when your heart beats in time with someone, Paul says this is a mark of a true brother. He sees himself as bound to Philemon. We've got the same heart and the same mind, and together they are bound to all the other saints. Paul is doing for Philemon here, in part, what Philemon has done forever. For others, he's, he's writing so as to refresh his heart as one of his brothers. <clears throat> it is this uh, belonging to the body of Jesus Christ. Now, my friends, are we brothers in Christ? Good. I hope he's speaking for everyone. <laughs> That's what this means. We're brothers. We can refresh one another's hearts. This kind of Christian affection reveals the family likeness. It's one of the ways that you know you're dealing with a brother in Christ Jesus. And it ought to be recognised among us. It ought to be celebrated among us. It is brothers who love their brothers in this way. The church ought to be governed by this kind of spiritual dynamic. We are bound together by a blessed tie. God in his mercy has called every believer in this congregation into union with him and communion with him and one another. And what we would then do for our own beloved brothers in the world, what some of you would do for brothers who actually you don't necessarily get on with so well, what would you say if they came to you needing help? Taking into account everything else, he's still my brother. I mean, they even sing about it in the world. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. You know, it may be a burden. But because he's my brother, I'm ready to carry it. And that's the language and that's the sense that the apostle uses for the church of Jesus Christ. 
It is brothers who serve one another in this way. It is the brothers who undertake this great and gracious work, being enabled to do it and having the affection that carries it out. <clears throat> That's because we need to ask another question. What motivates this great and gracious work? Why does a brother refresh the hearts of God's people? It is because of love rooted in faith. I thank my God, says Paul about Philemon, making mention of you always in my prayers. Here's the joy of an apostle's heart, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love that's what we see here, Philemon. That's what we trace it back to. God has worked in your heart. He's made you a man of faith, trusting in Jesus Christ. Your entire outlook, your entire disposition, your destiny, your expectation, your desires, your, your delights, they've all been transformed because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the outflows of that faith is love. You now love the Lord Christ. He is your, the darling of your heart. He is the delight of your soul. All is for him. And bound together with others who love the Lord Jesus Christ, your love flows not only upward, but outward toward others. It's a love that reveals that you are now in Christ Jesus because it is a Christ-like love. Philemon was a Colossian Christian. So you've not just got a letter to the church in Colossae, you've also got this lovely little personal note to a man in Colossae. And what does Paul say in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 8? He says, We've learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who has also declared to us your love in the Spirit. What a delightful report to be able to bring of a church. Epaphras, tell me, what is it that's going on in Colossae at the moment? Pastors often get asked that kind of question. How, how are things going in Crawley? What's it like in Maidenbower? What does this man say to the apostle? Oh, you should see their love in the spirit. Wow. What, what a, what a one-line summary for the life of a particular congregation. Now, no doubt there were other things. Someone asks me that question. I might say, well, we've got a number of people who aren't well at the moment. We've got a number of people who are struggling with particular challenges. We've got a number of wonderful opportunities that are coming up. But I can tell you what delights my heart is when I can say, you know, there's a sweet unity in Christ's church in Maidenbower. There's a real affection. There's a mutual love that is characterizing God's people. I might not say, let me declare to you the love of the maiden Bowerites in the spirit. But even something of that sense, even something of that reality, what a privilege to be able to speak of the love that motivates this great and gracious work. Paul goes on in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 to speak of the kind of character that new creatures in Christ always show or should show. 
as the elect of God, holy and beloved by him, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you almost also must do, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It is a love, perhaps you might say, that produces and sustains harmony among God's people in the church. And so, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. So Philemon is a preeminent man of love in a congregation that is marked by the spirit of love. Exhorted to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against one another. And above all of those manifestations, put on the bond of love. And Paul might have then been able to say, be more Philemon. Philemon is a man marked by this spirit and the fruits that flow from it. Now that's actually very significant, not just for Paul generally, and not just for the Colossians congregationally, it's very important for Philemon particularly. Why? Because Philemon is a man with a runaway slave. Do you know the backstory of this little letter? Philemon has a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus ran away from Philemon. Now in the Roman world, that's usually a death penalty. You know what's really interesting? Onesimus ran to Paul. I think that shows you something of the brotherly affection that characterized both of these men. That when Onesimus ran away from Philemon, and we don't know why, he ran to Paul. And you know what Paul's going to do? He's going to send Onesimus back to Philemon. And he is going to say to Philemon, Philemon, I want you to find enough love in your heart to receive him not as a returned slave, but as a brother in Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, Philemon's brotherliness and love is going to have to find new depths, isn't it? New scope, new degrees, because it needs to extend far enough for him to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance and forgiveness for a runaway slave who has run away, become a Christian and is now coming back as a brother. Notice even Paul doesn't say you shouldn't be a slave anymore. Remember what slaves are supposed to do. Well, according to Colossians, they're supposed to work like they're working for God himself. Onesimus, that's what it means for you. Philemon, this is what it means for you. Now what else then is going to produce and sustain such kindness, such goodness, such tenderness, if not the love of a man who has learned from God himself what love is? It's a great and gracious work, this refreshing the hearts of the saints. Philemon's going to have to do it, not just as he has been doing, but even to Onesimus himself. It is done by brothers 
for brothers and it is motivated by nothing else than the love that only the gospel can secure and create in your heart. And my friends, you will never be able to go on refreshing the hearts of God's people without love for one another. It is the root of all such fruit. So let's ask now practically, how may this great and gracious work be done? <coughs> what does it look like to refresh the hearts of the saints? I think we can say generally that true Christian love always seeks and strives to find ways to refresh the hearts of the saints. Do you ever wake up and think, how may I do good to my brothers and sisters today? Some of you who are married to Christians, you've got immediate opportunities to do that. But do you think when you come to church on the Lord's Day, how may I refresh the hearts of God's people? When a, a message goes out by email or WhatsApp or whatever else it may be, or you get a text message either for you or that goes out to everybody, does it ever prompt you to stop and think, because I love this person or that person, what may I now do to refresh their souls? You see, love looks for such opportunities and love strives for such opportunities. Love looks eagerly and labours readily. Now, one of the things that I love about my Bible is what I call the white spaces. Because if Paul had said, Philemon, I'm glad that you've refreshed the hearts of the saints by doing this and this and this, I might be a little bit constrained in what I could say at this point. But I think there's scope here because love will find many channels down which to run. This kind of brotherly affection will find many routes by which to travel to the many hearts of the many saints with whom we have to do. There's a kind of a gospel inventiveness here. And sometimes I think a list, rather than clarifying us, would constrain us. So when Paul says to the Galatians, do good to all, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, he doesn't say, and these are the ways that you can and should do it. Because when you make a list, at least if you're not an inspired man, there's a danger you'll leave someone or something out. He just says, do good. And that opens the door. Here it's show love and refresh the hearts of the saints. And that means, my friends, that there is so much scope for you and I to do this in this congregation and beyond it with those who truly name the name of Jesus Christ. One thing that we do know about this is that it was substantial. It was concrete. It was manifest. Because Paul could say, we know how you have done these things. You think of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, where the apostle there says that we're not to love only in word, but in deed and in truth. <clears throat> so it wasn't just that Philemon sat around thinking, oh, how much I love these people. Philemon had found ways to show that love to one another in such a way that reports could go back and forth about the kind of love that Philemon had showed. <clears throat> so what does Paul have in mind? Well, we know at least one thing. To Philemon, our beloved and fellow labourer, and after Aphia and Archippus, 
to the church in your house. In Colossae, Philemon was obviously a man with enough scope to host the church gathering in his own home. Every Lord's Day, Philemon gave up his house. That's love, to refresh the hearts of the saints. I don't know if that means that Philemon's other slaves were waiting with bowls of water and towels to wash the feet of the saints when they came. I don't know if it means that Philemon typically uh, had the kitchens on early in the morning with the fires burning in order to, to bake or to roast or to boil or whatever it may have been in order to provide for God's people. I don't know how early in the morning they met or how late in the day they met. Although often in these ancient times, it seems they had to begin very early. Why? Because they needed an opportunity for believing slaves to gather with them. Or very late. Why? Because they needed the slaves to be able to gather at the end of the day. So perhaps Philemon is opening his home for the whole day to refresh the souls of the saints. Have you not found that a refreshment to you at times? Have you not found sometimes just a cup of cold water? Being able to stop in someone's home, especially some of you travel for longer distances, or perhaps you don't have the same uh, affection and the same uh, relief at home as you would among God's people. Well, you're just tired. You ladies, so often doing all the cooking isn't it sometimes nice to have someone else do the cooking for you? Doesn't that refresh your soul? Because the load has been lifted. The burden has been relieved, at least temporarily. How else is your soul refreshed? This is one of those times when you might say, what has done this good to me? Could I then do it to others? What words have you written or spoken? And we know there are degrees. Maybe you hear something and, and a text will do the job. Thinking of you. Praying for you. Here's a scripture that may encourage you. Here's a quote from a book that I've been reading that might do you some good. Could be an email. Could be a phone call. How are you? Heard this news. Found out about these things. Could be a conversation. You ever had somebody burst into tears? Because when they opened the door, you were standing on their doorstep. I mean, for a good reason, obviously. <laughs> but the fact that you bothered turning up, the fact that you thought that I can go and do some good, maybe you didn't even go in, but you just went to say, I'm here, I love you, I care for you, we're praying for you. The favours that can be granted. Here's something that I know you need. Or here's something that I think you need. You know how sometimes, if I can do anything for you, let me know. Anybody ever know what to say at that point? Very rare, isn't it? But what about, I thought of doing this for you. And you might say, well, that may not be exactly what I need, but you actually bothered. You thought, you planned, you prepared. Gifts that can be given. Anybody ever given you even a few pounds to 
go for a coffee, <coughs> to take your family out for a meal, to buy some food that you might need. Somebody put a book in your hand that otherwise you wouldn't have been able to buy or afford or, or wouldn't even have known that might have... I was thinking of you, and I read this book a few years ago, and I thought, what a wonderful blessing this might be under your present circumstances. It could be practical help offered when someone is overwhelmed, when someone is unwell, when someone is weak and frail. I'm just here to help out, and you've got to let people do that as well as be willing to do it for yourself. It could be food that is cooked. It could be a, a plan where we know that maybe a baby's been born or someone isn't well and the church rallies together. Or it could be, a, it could be something as simple as a Tesco's voucher or a Sainsbury's voucher or other supermarkets are available. You know, here's, here's a chance to just go and get something that you want or, or, or here's a, a cake the ministry of cake. <laughs> Most of us can attempt something of that. Visits that are made when someone's not well, when someone's in hospital, when someone's in a hospice. The fact that you took time out and you went there. Have you ever seen someone's face light up because they were by themselves for the last two days and someone who cares about them walks in? And maybe the ward is heavy with a sense of sickness and even death. And your presence brings life and light to one of God's people. It could be care that is taken, a note that is written, some clothing that is given, some practical demonstration. It could be the rides that you give to enable somebody to get to and from the church building or to get to and from a, a medical appointment, or to get to and from school when things are getting tough. It could be the Sunday school that you teach. It could be the investment that you make around the church building. It could be the, the food that you provide, brothers and sisters, even down to the cup of cold water. Think of what has refreshed you. Think of what, when you were struggling, distressed, grieved, coming to the point of feeling overwhelmed, not sure where help would come from, and somebody brought a blessing. And you notice that a lot of these are practical demonstrations, not word only, but in deed and in truth. And what impact did it have upon you? Yes, you had a little more food in your belly, and that was good. Yes, you had a little bit more time in your schedule, and that was good. Yes, you had a little bit of relief from that financial pressure, and that was sweet. But did it not refresh your soul? Did it not remind you of the love and the mercy and the kindness of God? Did it not allow your heart to sigh out a little of its weariness? Oh. Sometimes just to be reminded that someone cared, that someone loved, that someone bothered. How many things have refreshed your heart? What can you do for others? 
I hope there's no one sitting here this morning saying, well, no one does that for me. Or why don't they bother with me? Or I should be the first person on that list. I hope every Christian brother here this morning, by brother I mean everybody who belongs to the family of God, is thinking, how can I do that for others? How can I bring a blessing? Remember, everything you need is at hand. Every person upon whom you can operate, not, they're not all in this room, but a good number of them are, and you know the names and the faces who aren't. All the materials you need are already at your disposal. How much scope every believer here has to serve others by refreshing the hearts of the saints. And what does this great and gracious work produce? What's one of the consequences of it? I love Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 25. It ties in very sweetly with the imagery of this text. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Philemon's actually been refreshing somebody else's soul recently. He's been refreshing Paul's. Because Paul's got news even from Onesimus, maybe in the context of the Colossian letter, of what's happening back in Colossae. And amongst the things that are happening in Colossae is a man of God who is refreshing the souls of God's people because of the love that he has for Christ and for them. And Paul says, when I hear about those things, it stimulates prayerful thanksgiving out of my prison cell. I have great consolation great joy in Philemon's love toward God's people and he wants him to know about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 12 he talks about the administration or working out of a particular service which not only supplies the needs of the saints that's great but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God this kind of ministry echoes out. It stirs up the thanksgiving of God's people, not just those who are immediately receiving it, but those who are watching and hearing about it taking place. Isn't this ministry wonderful? Isn't this service sweet? Isn't this refreshing of the soul a delightful demonstration of the love and the mercy and the kindness of God toward his people that then spills over? from a soul that has tasted love in love toward others. And what I find striking about this, again, is the selflessness of the Apostle Paul. Now, you know that in prison he had received mercies and favours from the saints in Colossae. And no doubt, part of the gift that had been sent to him on various occasions would have come from a man like Philemon. But Paul does not say to Philemon, how thankful I am for the gift that you have given to me. Paul does not say to Philemon, what a joy it has been that my soul has been refreshed by you. Although that's evidently the case. What he says is, what makes me so full of joy and comfort, my beloved brother, is this. How you've acted towards other Christians there in Colossae. 
that you and I should be able to look around a congregation like this and to see the investments that one another are making. And even though it may be that we're, as it were, looking in from the outside, we're seeing the blessed ties that bind one another's hearts in Christian love. And that should make you rejoice. My friends, you may not have had an opportunity to do good to somebody else today. You may not have received much good from somebody else today. But if you've seen it and known it, it ought to make your heart sing. Because it's a mark of the unity and the community of the people of God joined in love together. And I'm not going to start making a list because then I will miss things out. But I know how much has already been done by some for some others and it ought to make us rejoice that in this place the love of God in Christ has been so manifested among us the love that is in the spirit is working itself out that we can enter into an apostle's joy what are we rejoicing about what is consoling and comforting us because of what God can do in hearts like ours are you by nature a selfish or a selfless man or woman? You don't need to answer that one out loud. I know the answer. Are you self-centered? Demanding? Do you tend to think that the world revolves around you? That's called sin. That spirit of selfish entitlement, the what about me mentality? Here's Paul the Apostle. And he's saying, what a beautiful thing Philemon has done for them. I am so thankful for his kindness to the saints, which has refreshed their souls. My friends, Paul's cell is a little brighter because of the kindness that God's people have shown to one another in Colossae. Paul's chains are a little lighter because of the kindness with which the saints have been refreshed by a man like Philemon. And though you may not be, and may not at this point need to be, a direct recipient of such goodness, it is good and it is right that we should learn to rejoice in the gospel ripples that spread out from a Christian life of a man or a woman who has been gripped by faith in Christ and love for him together with all the saints. And you have no idea how far some of those gospel ripples can reach. I'm not saying that because I do. I'm simply stating. You don't know how that might prove a cup of cold water, good news from a far country. Because when someone blesses you in this way, perhaps not necessarily drawing attention to its source, can't you give thanks? Can't you say to a family member, Oh, see what good has been done to us. Look at what kindness we've received. Perhaps a deacon comes to you with an anonymous gift. And you don't know where it came from. Maybe the deacon doesn't either, but he's been given an opportunity to pass it on. Oh, please say thank you. I can't because <laughs> I don't know who's done this. But I can rejoice with you. What does it teach to an unconverted child? when you give thanks to God for his mercies. Perhaps you talk to a believer in another place. Perhaps you've got family members in Christ in another church 
Perhaps you get to exchange these kinds of stories. Hopefully these are the kinds of things that elders would, would say to us. Oh, I saw something wonderful in church the other day. Oh, tell me more, brother. Oh, that's so fantastic. Praise God for his mercies towards you. We don't know how many, notice, souls will be refreshed. Your gift may not go very far. It might begin and end with the person to whom it's given. But the ripples of gospel refreshment, who knows how far they will travel and what good they will do, what standard they will set, what encouragement they will offer, what hope they will give. Paul writes this letter, confident that this kindness will extend even to Onesimus. We have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Look at verse 20. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. What's he going to say? Receive Onesimus back. Deal with him as you would deal with me. Oh, and by the way, you owe me your soul under God. <laughs> Philemon, you've refreshed the hearts of so many. Can you refresh mine now to an even deeper degree by extending that same love that it's become your habit to show to so many to refresh their souls, even as far as an Onesimus? You might say, that's a tough one. I could refresh this man's heart or that woman's heart or that friend's heart or that but but this person yeesh, what they've done and how they've acted and the way that they behave Paul says Philemon what load has been lifted from your heart Christ has taken away your sin, Philemon. Christ has refreshed you by giving you rest when your very soul was weary on account of its burdens. Now you can lift the load of others. This kind of love must begin and only can begin with Christ. You will never love someone like this until you've been loved by Christ in such a way that the burden of your guilt and shame has been taken away and the love of Christ, the love of God, the love of the Holy Spirit, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. And that's something that Philemon can't do. Philemon can point you to Christ, but Philemon can't lift the load of sin. Christ Jesus alone can do that. And when he does that, you become a brother. When you're forgiven for your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, you're brought into the family of God. And you're taught a love that extends to every one of God's people even as far as from a Philemon to an Onesimus. So, brothers and sisters, let us 
stir up in one another great joy and consolation in our love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by us, brothers. Amen.